Hello and welcome to The Aside, a podcast for drama teachers and students. I'm Nick Waxman and today we will be having a conversation with Lawrence Strandio and Annie Thorold about their upcoming production of The Yellow Wallpaper at La Mama Theatre in March. This is part two of the interview, so if you haven't listened to part one, I suggest you go back and listen to that. This production is on the 2019 VCE Drama playlist, so these questions are designed to help provide some insight into the production. Please note this episode of The Aside was not recorded in the studio, so the audio quality is not as high as it usually is. Let's get to it. The Yellow Wallpaper only has one performer in it. How do you manipulate the dramatic element of conflict? There's a conflict in her, um, in the character towards the room and the space that she's in. Mm. And to start with, she thoroughly dislikes being there and everything about the room. Um, but then gradually it's a conflict in her that she starts to like it, but at the same time she doesn't. And then by the end, she is obsessed with it. She mm. loves it and wants to be a part of it. <laughs> and and yeah. in a way takes the room with her. Like in a way the room is sort of like her, her, her companion by the mm. end. And if you think about the way that the piece ends, and I don't know if I want to give too much away now, but the there's a sense of her being able to, to sort of run out that door now that, and mm. so it, it's almost like she she takes that room with her. So there's so it, it's interesting that, that 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 relationship between her and the room, which is one that's not quite an antagonistic one to, to begin with, and one where she feels like she's she's sort of small within a very large space. Suddenly, the space is no longer um, able to contain her by the end. Uh, so that there's there's a there's a shifting conflict in that. Mm. There's also the conflict between the different voices, the inner voice or the, the recorded voice, mm. um, the, 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 the voice of the character on stage, conflict certainly within the society that she's in, the fact that she has conflict with her husband um, about wanting to leave and, um, and his determination that because he's a doctor and he knows best that everything will remain the same. So there's, there's those sort of standard conflicts of, of between characters, but we only ever see them through the perspective of her. So, you know, she's our, our narrator, reliable or otherwise. Um, but but more particularly, we sort of get, a, get conflicts between the imagery of what we're seeing and, and what we're hearing or the, or the physical expression of what we're seeing and what we're hearing. Mm. So language, and again, it goes back to that thing between the language and the physical, um, which were the starting points for the development of this whole work being the main sort of um, protagonists that are constantly working with and against each other in in the development of this piece as as a devised work. The yellow wallpaper grows to a climax, but can you discuss how climax is used throughout the play? I think the the biggest, it's kind of safe to that last climax, I think. Mm. There's small ones on the way within scenes. Mm. Um, but no, that's the big one, and it doesn't. It doesn't really. It doesn't give the audience a clear. 
resolution. Like, mm. uh, it's a... Um, here comes maybe more, some more symbolical movements when she's running around. Oh, no, I'm giving, I'm giving oh, it away. Can't I can't give it away. Uh, what are we going to say? Like, the, the movements um, she's doing on stage is not what is described. It's not what the other character in the scene, in the play is seeing. And, and, and also how some props are used isn't at all what's said. Yes, yeah, in the text of the, of the novella, yeah. Yeah. And, and the audience aren't told what's going to happen after. Or like there's nothing that, that tells them that. Mm. I, th- I think it's interesting because that there's a there's a climax that's happening there in that final scene, which is a very physically expressed one um, and emotional as well because I think that of her elation as a as a character. Um, but but it's interesting looking back, you know, with, about the other little climaxes that happen throughout. There are other little ones that sort of happen within within moments within scene. But we were discussing the other day in rehearsal how the piece really is is one that happens almost by stealth. You know, the the, the from the image of the beginning of a very still, very quiet woman in a in a in a room dressed very somberly, etc., etc., etc. Uh, through to this sort of much more alive character. I'm trying not to talk, to give anything away. The much more alive figure that's 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 in the room at the end, um, which is quite almost feels quite dangerous. Uh, there's you know that, that it it happens by stealth. It happens by slight increments from scene to scene to scene. There are sometimes little leaps of of energy and change um, with it from one scene to another, uh, but. But often it's there doesn't seem to be. We we maybe thought yesterday we found where there is a key turning point in the play, but there doesn't seem to be a sort of a major turning point or a, this is the this is the climax and then there's a denouement. We actually have the climax at the end. We're just heading up, 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 and up. How are space and sound manipulated in the yellow wallpaper? Yes, yeah, so we use like the space quite bare. Uh, it's just a table in the room and that's it. And I guess that's kind of contradicting the text mm. a bit. Like yes. it's a room that is probably filled with stuff. Yeah, it's a it's a you know, Victorian mansion that's mm. filled with furniture you would imagine and, and certainly the table is not even meant to be a table. The table's there representing a bed. So mm. it's it already there's a symbolic use of, of an object as something totally different. Um and yeah, the the emptiness of the space the is is an aspect of the sense of her being feeling very small in a very large room. But but it's also interesting, I think, that we use the space very architecturally. The, the, mm. the La Mama Courthouse is an old building. I don't know what year it was built, I should, but uh it it has a lot of little, you know, ornate detailing on some across some of the, the, the plaster work and yeah, and we had uh, some scenes where we lit up the roof as well, so yeah. it expanded it all the way up yes. to the ceiling. Yeah, and the use of the windows and blinds. Yeah, so there are the, the, there's a, there are moments where the windows at the very start of the show are actually open to the sunlight coming in, but then that closes down, and um, we use the light shining in through one of the side doors there, and there's other architectural aspects of the room which I don't want to give away too much about because it's nice things to find, 
um, what you see, but the, the little parts of the architecture that she really inhabits and, and becomes a part of, or in some ways, you know, tries to inhabit. She's trying to become a part of that room or trying to feel comfortable in that room. So for us, the, the actual physical space of the courthouse was it became a very important thing because of its particular architectural style. And how does the actress, Annie Thorold, use the space? She moves around. Like, to, to start with, she, she doesn't touch, touch anything. Mm. Um, but then she finds all those little poles and places to, to go into. Yeah. Almost to hide at times um, or to, you know, yeah. to, to sort of, you know, feel sorry for herself or, I mean, that's probably not the right phrase, but, um, but you know, certainly to, to, to just try and, you know, be, be within her sorrow. Certainly there's, you know, there, there is an element of her, you know, using the, the table slash bed um, as, a, as a place to either be, to, to, to have the height of that, to be up completely standing vertically on that, almost like yeah, she's going to take off from there and then underneath it. And so she's in, she's mm. really inhabits a lot of those spaces. And also even the audience uh, as a part of the space, I guess, or as the, as the third player, like mm. we've been using to, like, to have the same point of view, like... I go almost out to the audience. Hmm. Yeah. And there's um, certainly, we didn't talk about it earlier, necessarily, but, but there are lots of asides that are, at times they seem incidental, like, is she really talking to us? And then there are points where, oh my God, she is actually talking to us. And mm. so there's a, that, the, that use of the audience as, as part of the room. Yeah. Is, is really important that in a way they are they are her they are her audience but they're not we, we don't seem to be there at the beginning we seem to be voyeurs at the beginning but then eventually we suddenly become focused upon and then almost dismissed as well. She talks in the play about a about this there being a yellow smell in the room and that that it's that the smell has a particularity which is its yellowness and and then as she sort of overcomes the the oppression of that smell sort of pushing down on her and she and she stands right up the the ceiling itself lights up which is quite golden because it's all timber and and certainly our gaze goes up as well so our awareness of the room changes in perspective you know through the use of those things like such as the lighting and that's more to do with the stagecraft i know but but it's but that that sense of um of the space being being something that's not just simply a, a, a flat two-dimensional space. It's one that's occupied, you know, even even taller than the performer is. Um, and and also there are you know other moments later on that where where she's against the back walls and there's a, and the lighting is being shot in through the sides. Um, so you and through through these little windows and these little doors that are already there in the in the space. And so you're getting these lovely sort of gothic shadows that are that are being played along the wall, but also a sense of her being becoming a part of the architecture of that building by the by the way the light moves across her. Does the performer use her voice in a way that moves beyond the reality of life as it is lived? Not really, I think. Like, it changes the way I use the voice, like, um, with the changes of the character, or, like, they go hand in hand, I guess. Like, 
which comes first. But um, I, I wouldn't say they're non-naturalistic. I think it's interesting because it, the behaviour of this character is extreme, and and just because it's extreme, I suppose, isn't doesn't necessarily mean that it's not natural. Um, people get into those states. People do. People behave in those ways at certain points in their life, depending on their psychological state or their emotional state. Sometimes the way that we, that we might manipulate those things could be seen as being non-naturalistic. But I would say that all of the sounds that Annie's character makes or that Annie makes as the character are, are natural. It's just mm-hmm. that they, you know, that she goes from being a very silent, almost mouse-like woman at the beginning to somebody who is much more vibrant and confident and um you know and and able to verbally express herself so so and and you know there are others i suppose sort of physical sounds that come through you know feet on floors and things like that um but they're all real they're, everything's real it's just that it's i suppose it's about how it's about how those um those things are, are, are treated differently or, or are perceived differently because of the context i wonder because it's something we're playing with now uh, in rehearsal and we haven't done it before, but how in between scenes in the beginning, we have a, a soundtrack of this piece yes. of Brahms, yes. Brahms music. And then how she, in the second half of the piece, takes over that piece of music and, and hums it. So I, maybe that's a bit un, non-naturalistic because that's something that are, she is not supposed to be aware of, she's not aware of this music because it's transactional music, it's for the audience. Yeah. But how she then, like, is in control of that in a way. And that's, I guess, it's non naturalistic perhaps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But then again, then again, the piece may well, that piece of music may well be something that's being played in the house. Or, yeah, yeah. You know, it may be real. But, but the way you, but like, I, I hear what you're saying mm. is, that, is that in the theatre piece, we only know it as scene change music yeah we don't know it as something that's realistic within the world of the play um so yeah. yeah i think i think it's interesting that there's that she does take control of those things and um and that's that's what the, the play is about it's about her manifesting control mm. how are the production areas used to move beyond the reality of life as it is lived the light it- it works a bit as a symbol for the wallpaper mm. because it gives the shadows and it, it's used very differently throughout the different scenes and the, her relationship to the wallpaper, I guess. Just an addition for light. But are there other are are production elements? Yeah, yeah and, you know, she talks about a rope in the, in the final section of the mm. story and, and we, we have a very large rope that, that is brought out as part of the scene. It's certainly not used at all the way that she verbally describes using it in the play. Um, it, it's, it's, and I, again, I'm trying to think whether this is symbolic or not, but it, it, it certainly maps out a trajectory within the room that, she's, that she then begins to follow. So, you know, I think that there's that, that's, that probably is a symbolic use of that, of that. It's certainly a non, non-naturalistic or as a non, non-narratively um, correct use of, of that, of that prop. Um, I think the costume is probably the major element, the transformation of that costume from the way that we, that we see her at the very beginning to 
herself at the end and the gradual removal of, of elements of that costume, the gradual removal of, of sep separate parts of it that are, I suppose, restrictive. Um, uh, that's, you know, that's certainly the major symbolic use of, of, the, of, of design. Do you want to talk a bit about your, because a lot of those things came from you in rehearsal about you know, the, the hair coming down, the shoes going off. I think they, I think they have right. to see it in the performance. Thank you very much for your time today, Annie Thorold and Lawrence Strangio. Thank you. Thank you. The Yellow Wallpaper is playing at La Mama Theatre in March. Please go to lamama.com.au to find out more. Well, that is all from us at The Decide. There are plenty more episodes in the bank, so why not go find one that piques your interest? If you would like to ask us a question or have a suggestion for a future episode, please do not hesitate to contact us at asidepodcast at outlook.com. Thank you to Drama Victoria for continuing to support this podcast. Thank you to Aaron Searle for providing the music. And of course, thank you for listening. Hello, my name is Nicholas Waxman. Your turn. That's right.